0: We're continuing a little series that I've started in Philippians 4 this afternoon, and the title of the message simply is, Rejoice in the Lord. And so, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5. We're going to go on a bit of a journey on how we can rejoice in the Lord, irrespective of our circumstances, and remind ourselves that God is always near. So, Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5. The NIV version reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And so, an opening question for us to consider this afternoon is Do we see and acknowledge God's hand in every circumstance in our lives? Or do we believe that God is somehow only invested and interested and engaged in the good parts of our lives? In the parts of our lives where things are happening well. As people that live by faith, it is crucial that we remember that real faith will always rejoice in the Lord. Because we know That He is sovereign and therefore He is actively involved in every part of our life. And therefore the reason for a believer's joy will always orientate around the presence of God. The psalmist declares that to us in Psalm 16. In His presence there is fullness of joy. And so we see here in Philippians 4 that Paul's words to the church at Philippi is a very clear and a very radical call to faith for anyone going through trials, difficulties, or challenges. And if a Christian believes that his life and all of his circumstances or their circumstances are in the hands of a sovereign, loving father, then we can always find time to rejoice. And so the context... In this portion of scripture, as you will see if you read the preceding three verses in Philippians 4, is that these are people that have not only begun well, but they've journeyed to a point, and now maybe they're struggling in their faith. They're having second thoughts. Things are emerging, trials and challenges, that are raising questions in their lives. And I'm sure that some of us can resonate in that aspect of our own lives, where challenges start to emerge when we find ourselves in the seasons that we do. Perhaps they're thinking, well, they've counted the cost of following Christ and maybe they're even contemplating, having second thoughts, a bit of hesitation, a little bit of thoughts around, do I want to continue this journey? Maybe that would resonate with us this afternoon. So we've got three learning outcomes for us as we embark on this journey this afternoon together. The first is retain your joy. That's number one. The choice to retain our joy is more often than not in stark contrast. Contrast to how we often feel. It's difficult when things are going bad, when challenges are evident in our lives, when things are seemingly not going our way to choose to rejoice. And yet, that's a commandment that we're given here from Paul in Philippians. It's not exactly easy to rejoice when we go through things that we don't think we deserve to go through as believers. But in these moments, we have only two options. They both produce very, very different outcomes in our lives. We can allow our feelings and our emotions to dictate every facet of our life, and we can stumble from one disappointment to another, one failure to another, all enjoying or going enduring, rather, fluctuating emotions. That approach produces no growth, no maturity, and no freedom, and no victory that is found in Christ. The alternative choice is much healthier. It's life-giving, and it's life changing but here's the reality it's going to cost us substantially more this afternoon to make that choice because we have to choose to obey the command to rejoice paul makes it clear because it's a double instruction and it's for emphasis but it's also for a reminder to us this afternoon that our names are in the lamb's book of life and the lord is nearby so friends on those two things alone Every believer should be able to rejoice. Simply put, don't surrender your joy. Paul specifically encourages us to rejoice. It is not a struggle that we should endure every day of our lives. And it's Paul is not suggesting that we should even rejoice in spite of our circumstances. And it goes even beyond reluctantly, reluctantly rejoicing. We should rejoice in the goodness of God and every single blessing that has been made available to us this afternoon. And we read similar context, similar thoughts and reflections in the book of Hebrews where the believers are encouraged by their faith to fix their thoughts on Christ. Hebrews 3 verse 1. But also Hebrews 12 verse 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And it is when we take time to look to God that we can truly rejoice for he is good he's kind he's loving and he's merciful and he's also perfect in all of his ways why because his faithfulness towards you never fails the word always in Philippians 4 4 I find highly significant It's not there by accident. Paul was not someone to make mistakes. The Bible we know is without error. Paul is informing us very clearly here that this joy, this rejoicing surpasses the totality of every challenge, every trial, every situation that we find ourselves navigating today, but also every possible challenge into the future. And it's easy to rejoice when things are going our way, right? It's easy to worship God, to celebrate Him when we get the breakthroughs, when we get the provision, when we get the increase, when we get the favor. But when we take a step back from our lives and we look at it objectively, we all have much to be joyful for. Now, Paul, it's very evident, was a keen advocate of joy because he perpetually references this word in various letters. And so he has clearly learned to master joy in his own life. Now, perhaps the reality for you today is that you have spoken against another believer, perhaps you've experienced a broken relationship that you haven't forgiven. Perhaps you're just on, on a bit of a downward turn. You're, you're questioning life, you're wondering where God is the, in the midst of your situation. And therefore we struggle to find joy. Paul speaks very clearly here in Philippians 4. The first three verses but also in verse 5 that relationships in the body of Christ play a huge role for believers finding joy so some of us this afternoon it's an opportunity pick up the phone apologize demonstrate some forgiveness allow the peace of God which surpasses all understanding to fill your heart allow yourself the opportunity to more intentionally engage with other members of the body of Christ allow your heart To be free of the bitterness and the hurt and the pain. And in those moments, when those things are achieved and we have gotten rid of them, we walk in the joy of the Lord. Because those acts position you and I to experience a tremendous outpouring of God's rich and perfect joy. It is no accident, by the way, that love precedes joy in the list that is given on the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Joy, you will find, will remove the walls of hostility, will cause the hurts and the pains to melt away that may have developed from broken relationships, from challenges, from people falling out with each other in the body of Christ. And clearly you can see, if you take time to read Philippians 4 verses 1 to 3, that there's an issue between a couple of women there that Paul is actually referencing here in verse 4. Make no mistake... Your joy in the Lord should eclipse every circumstance and every situation that you have ever found yourself in. Remind yourself of this. Your joy is in the Lord, which essentially means that that joy emerges from your heart and life, from the relationship, the life and the power of God that is flowing in and through your life this afternoon. Point number two, learning outcome two for us this afternoon is the first part of verse five, simply titled, be Christlike. So the first one, first point is to retain your joy. The second point is now be Christlike. You know, your reputation, that's what people think of you. Your character, well that's the real you. And we always should pursue developing our character. Don't worry about your reputation. Pursue your character being refined and honed and shaped by the Word of God. The goal for every Christian, I could argue, really, is found in Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be imitators of Christ in all that you do. One of the biggest challenges for us following Christ is that consistency and that continual commitment to embrace the heart and character of Christ in our daily lives. And that's likely to be the first thing that we surrender when we go through challenges, when we go through issues. And yet Paul here encourages the Philippian believers and you and I that we can maybe allow ourselves to reconsider our commitment. But if we choose to live in the spirit of gentleness, victory is our portion. Now, you see, gentleness, that doesn't go down too well in our culture. To live in gentleness, to be meek, to be kind is a stark contrast to the harsh, challenging values of world system and world society you know the reality is gentleness in our society basically equals weakness and yet that is simply wrong it is simply a choice for you and for I on how we choose to treat people now if we need any evidence we should always and only look to Christ the character of Christ is our first and probably the sole example that we should look to in terms of gentleness, and look at the, look at the, what, it, what look what resulted in him when he demonstrated gentleness. There was hatred, there was violence, there was opposition. Yet he still stood by it. Paul's desire here is to motivate the disciples to hold firm to the character of Christ, because by living in that, we will experience victory. We will experience a Christ-like attitude in all that we do. And so while we wait patiently for the Lord, we know that we can be gentle, we can be considerate, and we can be kind. Now, Paul stipulates very clearly that as believers, and he's clearly speaking to the Philippians at this time, that we should demonstrate the highest levels of conduct and morality while we honour him, Christ, in all that we do. In other words, we need to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Now, that invitation is extended to us today. We read in Philippians 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, those are the opening two words, i.e. irrespective of the season, irrespective of whether you've been treated poorly or treated well, whether you're under persecution or whether you're living in glorious victory. Whatever happened, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence I will know that you have stood firm in one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel now that leads me on to my third point this afternoon and it's a word that some of us I feel definitely need a reminder on Jesus is near by you read that very clearly in Philippians 5 the second portion The central focus of the Gospel, for you and for I, is that God is nearby, He's close. Be assured of this this afternoon. Our God is not distant, He is close by. In Christ Jesus, God has subsequently come close. And so whatever we experience in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, the Lord is near. Whatever trial, whatever circumstance you're going through, the Lord is near. Why? This affirmation is intended to bring us comfort, to bring us encouragement, but also to bring us confidence that God is invested and interested, intricately interested in each of our lives. The psalmist makes it clear in Psalm 46, verse 1, The Lord is our refuge and our strength, our very present help in times of needs, which means he's close by, he's there in our lives. But also we read in Psalm 145 verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. Remind yourself of that this afternoon friends. He is near. He's not distant. He's not aloof. He's connected intricately and intimately with you. And he desires that you would know that in your journey with him. And so basically Paul is calling here for unity in the church to be resolute, courageous, passionate, because the years ahead are not going to be easy. We have to counteract any mixture that might be creeping into the church, any forms of worldview, any false teaching or doctrine. We need to be aware of it, but we need to be united, striving together as one spirit to connect one another to the body of Christ in a way that will bring God glory. Now, Paul is very clear here Only a united church can successfully advance in this world and therefore face the issues without retreat, without surrender. And so we, as a body of believers here at KT, we need to be united. We need to be together, we need to work together as one so that we can advance the kingdom of God together. Which means quarreling and gossip and slander, all of that has to be laid to one side, nailed to the cross of Calvary, and we move forward in purpose and power and passion for the gospel extension right across London and the world so that Christ can be glorified. But the term gentleness here is used to describe an act of kindness where normal responses would be maybe a bit of retaliation. And so a question for you, when was the last time that you demonstrated genuine gentleness instead of retaliating In a situation where maybe it was a bit of a test, maybe you were even completely in the right and the other person was wrong, but you chose gentleness over retaliation. It's it's a it's a test for us this afternoon. Remind yourselves also that the Bible was written for us and for our benefit. It is to equip, to encourage, and teach the body of Christ in how to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Clearly, Paul was ahead of his time. He had endured persecutions, he had endured trials, yet those trials made him stronger in his faith, in his conviction, and in his passion for Christ. Friends, can we say the same this afternoon? Often we shy away from the trials, we avoid the challenges, because we're not necessarily confident that God is close by. We're not necessarily in a heart attitude of rejoicing when trials come our way, and yet those are God's ways of him maturing us. And so here we are, standing right now, today, in the year 2020, in the middle of probably the greatest crisis of the human history since World War II. And yet Paul's letter to us here is even more timely and even more relevant. He's telling us, demonstrate patient endurance to everyone that you encounter. Which means that, that patient endurance should jump to the top Of qualities and attributes that we seek to develop in our own character so that we can live lives that are worthy of the gospel which means we've got to create space we've got to create opportunities to surrender our own maybe preconceived presuppositions or our own perceived rights in life and actually allow healthy consideration for other people's opinions In doing that, we remove any attitude of self-promotion, any spirit of conceitedness, and we allow Christ to be formed and matured in the other person. Which means for us, the body of Christ must be united. There must be peace. Now more than ever, we need to demonstrate that so that that is visible and that is authentic to people that are interested in the Christian faith. However, we know that it's not always true. Divisions happen, arguments get stirred up, but we must facilitate opportunities for others to grow and mature in Christ. Peace and unity should be at the forefront of all of our conversations and all of our decisions that we make in the body of Christ, because we are the family of God after all, which means the starting point for every conversation should be gentleness. Pastor Colin always says, I can never preach a sermon that doesn't have a proverb in it. So Proverbs 15, verse 1 tells us that it's a gentle answer that turns away wrath, but it's a harsh word that stirs up anger. That should force some fresh thinking and create new pathways for some of us in how we communicate and in how we engage in conversation with one another, both in the body of Christ, but also with people that we're seeking to connect to in our walk with Christ. So let's recap for a moment. We can and we should rejoice. It's accessible. And it's an invitation for you this afternoon. It's not merely words on a page. This is the living word of God that we are called to embrace. Here is a way that you can achieve joy and rejoice in the Lord. Sit at the feet of Jesus every single day. Let his rich unending love flood your heart and mind. There is a clear correlation between the joy that we possess and the joy that Jesus has. John fifteen eleven says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may always be full. We must also remind ourselves that we should treat people how Jesus would, that we shouldn't necessarily treat them how they deserve to be treated. So let gentleness and forbearance and unity and kindness emerge from your heart, from your language, so that people can see Christ formed in you. And that will be what attracts them to the Christian faith. And so I hope that this sermon this afternoon has achieved its learning outcome. And that is that the aspiration for every believer should be to live in the abiding joy of the Lord, not just to experience moments of it, In and through where we have a victory here or a victory there. But no, we can rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because he is God with us in every single moment. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit and it is preceded by love in Galatians. After joy comes peace. After that comes forbearance. After that comes kindness. And I think we've covered all those fruits of the Spirit in just two verses here from Paul in Philippians 4 verses 4 and 5 this afternoon. And so I pray that your joy is certain, strong, and flourishing. Be confident that God's promises in his word are available and accessible to you as his child. Draw close to God. Let him draw close to you. And therefore, I have an opportunity now to echo the Apostle Paul's words that he, we've explored today. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Amen. Praise God.